Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are the Bible and other ancient scriptures full of UFO stories? Are the same forces active today? What does it all mean for our understanding of God? Hello and welcome to the 949th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you on our 14th anniversary show. Wow, 14 years, we went flying by, huh? Time flies and having fun. Uh, yes, yeah. and, and no shortage of topics. Uh, coming to you from WON, AM, and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live uh, on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those surprising questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today we welcome a new and very special friend to his debut on the show. You've seen and heard him on the History Channel's Ancient Aliens, The Real 4400, The Abduction Diaries, many more shows. And we're honored to have him as we begin our 15th year on the air. A native of Baltimore, Maryland, Reverend Michael J.S. Carter worked for many years as an actor in New York City before deciding to enter the ministry. He earned his Master of Divinity degree from Union's Theological Seminary in New York City in 2000. He has been a hospital chaplain, has served Unitarian Universalist congregations, and most recently moved to North Carolina to continue his ministry there. Michael is a longtime UFO contactee and the author of four books that I know of, including the Amazon bestseller Alien Scriptures, Extraterrestrials in the Holy Bible, the subject of our discussion today. So, Reverend Michael Carter, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I've been I've been looking forward to this, and um, here we are. And I hope it's the beginning of a long relationship. Indeed. <laughs> you know, I have to say on a personal note that um, I'm very very choosy about who I call a friend, but. So Mike, Michael and I, I, I have never developed such high regard for someone so quickly. And I'm very proud I, I, to call I think him That's both ways, brother. That is, that is both ways. I, I'm pretty, I know a zillion people, but only a few friends, and I count you among them. Well, thank you so much. So, uh, should we pull the surprise there, Ben? Sure, why not? So with us, so with us, we have Matt Moniz. <laughs> How are we doing, my old friend? I haven't seen you in a couple of uh, decades, at least. I remember doing uh, lectures with you and Bud Hopkins. Wow. Flashback? Oh, yes. Look <laughs> at you, man. Well, Michael is a, I should, well, you too, but, but Matt is a friend of the show, and we've known him for many years, doesn't live too far away, so he heard you were going to be on, and we figured we'd uh, we'd. Uh, Give you a little surprise. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Okay. Good to see you again, my friend. You too, brother. Look and at you. Uh, Matt will be, you know, jumping in with a few questions of his own oh, here. No question, no question. So, um, it's fond memories. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> fond memories. So, you want to uh, start us off there, Ben? Sure thing. So, uh, I guess we'll we'll kind of kind of start, you know, with with uh, with with the surprise, which we did. Uh, so, I guess we'll we'll just hop right into it. So, <laughs> your so your book, Alien uh, Scriptures. Uh, with your own contact story and all that, can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Yeah, and I didn't put all of them in there. That was the kicker for me, the first one. Um, I Listen, let me just lay, set the table. I was raised in African-American Baptist tradition. So all this stuff that we're talking about now, 
was a no-no. I don't even know if it even came up. But if it did, it would have been something that I didn't understand and probably would have been labeled, you know, labeled demonic. This is not a knock. This is just what we as human beings do, especially in more traditional religion. And so I remember growing up in Baltimore and someone asked me, uh, I was in downtown Baltimore, and I don't know how we got to that subject, and someone said, asked me that if I believed in UFOs, and I said no. And they said, why not? And I said, because it wasn't in the Bible. You know, what a difference 20, 30 years makes. <laughs> and so I went to, 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 to the truncated version is this. I was at that time wrestling with the historical Jesus. The Baptist tradition wasn't setting well with me. I was starting to read existentialists like Sartre. And, you know, I was just, just I was branching out. And this stuff is frowned upon in, in traditional religion. And so um, we went to, uh, my girlfriend at the time and I went to Mexico. And uh, we had a day where we went to see the pyramids in Chichen Itza and Tulum. Um, if you've ever been, then you know what I'm, it's just fascinating. Uh, uh, and um, coming, I was living in New York, going back home. I wanted to show off my tan, and I'd been away, and uh, we got to JFK. She said, look, I'm exhausted. I'm going to go home and unpack. I caught the subway to this get-together in Hell's Kitchen. And, you know, no no adult beverages were served, uh, tons of deviled eggs, which I love. <laughs> Classic. And I, oh, God forgive me, I love them so much. And so... Um, you know, we oohed and odd and we talked about what we saw and I left and I went home. I was living at the Excelsior Hotel, still there, 45 West 81st Street between Columbus and the park, residential hotel, across the street from the planetarium. And I, even to this day, I don't know whether I had to get up to go to the bathroom or I, or maybe I sensed something in the room, but I usually sleep on my stomach. I just, I, I got up and I turned around and at the foot of my bed, there was an individual, no more than four feet tall, wasn't exactly gray, had the phenotype of the gray that we, you know, looking back, kind of chalk white, almost like the, the person behind me, but not quite, um, and on the picture, and you know, I've had a gun pulled on me. I've had a police officer put a gun up to my head. I have never been so afraid as when I saw this little person at the end of my bed. And um, my girlfriend at the time, later became my first wife, she either could not or would not wake up. So it was just me and this person. And they had uh, like a blue light around them like an aura, and around that was a white light. It was like I was in Times Square. Hmm. Remember, this is on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. It's not in upstate New York, some rural place. Hmm. And so I felt like my heart was going to come out of my chest, and I looked at him or her, it, she, he, it looked at me, 
and I pulled the covers up over my head, and I remember getting to the fetal position, I was, I was terrified. Which was says I later found out this said more about me than them, but still. Um, and I heard this whoosh, whoosh, like like this whirlwind sound, and then I felt the temperature change. And this was December 28, 1989. It was freezing. That was another reason I wanted to go to the party because I just come from it was 85 degrees and I could gloat. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I, I was I was just frightened. I pulled, you know, when when the, when the wind stopped, whatever that sound was, I pulled the covers off my head. No one was there. And groggily, uh, Sandy woke up. What was interesting about this, just very quickly, guys, is when I wrote my latest book, um, Initiation, right here, shameless promotion, but here, um, the transformation, the spiritual transformation of the experiencer, I sent her a copy of the book, and she said, you know what, it came back to me like the first night, she said, I remember uh, seeing these small shadowy beings in the room. But in my mind, something said, go to sleep. Don't worry about it. Just go to sleep. Which was interesting because she had never told me that story before until after she read the book. So after that, guys, and then I'm going to shut up and you can jump in. I started having these visits every uh full and new moon, so twice a month I would get a visit and I would be paralyzed. Not Nothing was really said, just pictures in my mind were showing me. And so that began my my journey. Since then, other races, obviously, Bud uh, regressed me, Dr. Gene Mundy regressed me initially. Um, and when I, I knew about Bud, but I met Bud at a conference in Long Island, and he offered to regress me, and then we we just built up a, a, a friendship. We didn't all at that time we didn't see the phenomenon the same way because I did think it was transformative. He was a little more skeptical at the time, um, but you know, you know, we don't agree on on everything, but um, it was just it, it, it was just transforming meeting Bud and and Carol, but also. Um, you, you know, his, his wife at the time, but also going through it. I, I'm not like my brother, Stephen Greer. Um, I don't say that all of them come here to sing Kumbaya and hold our hands. I don't that I don't know if that's true. Um, but I know that my experiences transformed me, I think, for the better. Hmm. Now, but Bud Hopkins we're referring to is a... Uh, Probably the leading uh, abduction researcher of the seventies, eighties, nineties. Yep. And no, now, Matt, now Matt worked with him also. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Do you look like you yeah, want to say something? Yeah. I, I remember Bud being the only person that you could really approach back then with this type of subject that was yes. at least willing to talk to you. Yeah. And um, <laughs> he did a lot of my regressions as well. And when I met Mike. 
the first time, I, I, I remember him talking about his experiences and how he said it opened him up. Uh, I'm paraphrasing you, Mike. I hope you don't no, mind. No, no, it, it did. It did. It did. I, it scared me now. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I was afraid. Yeah. So, and one of the things about being with Bud and you, and I'm sure Mike would agree, you got to meet all of these other people going through these same experiences. Yeah. And in doing so, we became, you know, self-healing with each other because I could relate to Michael things that happened to me and him back to, you know, just like when he was talking about, about pulling the covers over the head, oh to, you know, to, to hide. I wound up doing the same thing when I oh was a God. child. It, it, yeah. it was one of these things where you could, you know, relate to these people and you could tell yourself that I'm not crazy because they see it too and they went That's through right, it too. Right. And that uh, was crucial that I wasn't alone. Yeah. Um, it, it really was because I was, I was having a hard time for a while, for a little, for a good little while. Um, not sleeping, uh, noticing physiological changes. My hair would grow really fast. I mean, now it's in a ponytail. I didn't have lock, dreadlocks then, but, um, skin and nails, um, a really heightened sense of intuition, but I was always hypervigilant. So, you know, I, I wasn't sleeping. I got by on less sleep. And then I started during, uh, you know, I became a Reiki practitioner. So I was always playing with energies and stuff. But it was tough. And, and look, only maybe, and even, well, I can't even say completely. And Michael, you may be able, Mike, you may be able to relate to this, but, you know, it, I still go to sleep. I still leave the light on until the last minute. I don't do it every night. but And I know the light on is not going to stop them from coming. And I know it may sound contradictory because I, it, it did open me up. I wouldn't trade the experience. But for me, it was the suddenness of which they could appear. And to turn over in my bed and, bam, bam, they're there. Uh, you know, it's like post-traumatic stress. I still... I'm glad. I feel like I have a relationship with some of them, but it is scary for me now more that I could be looking over here at night or nodding out here and I could turn around and just the suddenness of, of how they can appear, uh, it still kind of, you know, makes me a little vigilant. Well, let's, uh, well, let's back up a few thousand years and get into, uh, some of the ancient documents. Now, Michael, when did you first, you believe that the Bible and other ancient documents, ancient scriptures are essentially a collection of UFO narratives, among other things. Could yeah, you, yeah, hold on real quick. I just, I didn't want to be rude. I know, I thought Mike was going to say something. Oh, he was Matt. actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, you're talking about shutting the lights off. I, I've noticed and I've talked to oh, dozens of other abductees that have the same type of PS, PTSD. They, they all keep a weapon of some form near them in their bed, whether it be an actual firearm, a baseball bat, a golf club, something that they identify as a weapon somewhere near them. They usually keep shades and whatever closed, doors continuously locked, you're constantly going around checking and making sure the room's secure. Even though you know it's not going to stop them, but it's still something in your mind that you do just to make yourself feel... It's like security theater. Yeah. 
basically. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, please. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So, 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 Paul. Yeah. Getting back to that, and thank you for that, Mike. I just didn't. I knew you had something to say. Um, yeah, yeah. And I want to be clear for those who are going to be listening. Um, I think that these sacred scriptures, whether it's the Dhammapada or you know um, the Upanishads or the Bible, I, I, they're prof- there's profound wisdom, and um, uh, you, you start to see the evolution of how some of these religions came about and how advanced some of them were. Um, speaking specifically of Hinduism and what have you as far as metaphysics goes. I, I, I'm not saying that the Bible is only that, that there's nothing you can glean from it, but I'm convinced that these stories are what our ancestors were trying to relate in the vernacular, the nomenclature of their day, of what they were seeing, and how they tried to explain the technology. And if these star people, I'm not saying that they deliberately or intentionally, I think maybe Yahweh may have had some some power issues and some anger issues, but... Um, uh, you know, you know, with this technology, they were gods. They were godlike. And so I think that these stories of angels, I would say that if you, if you put star person everywhere in the Bible that you see angel, I think it makes more sense. I, I do want to note that nowhere in the Bible does it say these beings had wings. For, for people who've seen angels and what have you, not saying there's no such thing as angels, please hear me. I'm just saying in the Bible, because because they were messengers. I forget the Hebrew word, Malek or whatever for angels. Malek, they were uh, mes- ma- yeah, Malek. Malek. Yeah. yeah, they were they were messengers, and so um, I, I think it starts to make more sense. Jesus coming and going on clouds, Elijah. Um, Ezekiel. So I'm not taking away from the wisdom uh, and the profoundness and the beauty of some of the writings, but I do think that this is what we are um, witnessing when we read these texts. Uh, one of the I want to let Ben get in here too, but I was uh, when I read your book, I was. Um, not surprised really to see that you would come to the same conclusions uh, as in uh, the first chapter of our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, uh, about the uh, arguments based around the weirdest word in any Semitic language to me, and that's Elohim. Elohim, yes. The first word used for God in the Bible. And uh, I... You and I both studied Hebrew, yes. and it's uh, it's based on a feminine root with a with a masculine plural ending. Yes, yes. So yes. can you say something about that? I mean, it's really bizarre. Well, well for, for me, it was just that um, it's rare. It, 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 I think that no matter how you cut it, it's saying, it's like if you look at Genesis six. It's saying, let us make man in our image. And so it's, it's plural. And so what it does, now some, some scholars have argued that God is sitting around with other angels. It's a perspective. 
But it's not saying that. It's saying these gods, plural, meaning more than one. Let us. So you naturally start to question, who else is doing this? Who else is in the game here in, in this creation story? And then, of course, when you go into, you know, Genesis 6 is kind of, it's, it's continued in Enoch. And Obviously the, an ancestor of ours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in, in the book of Jubilees and what have you, it, 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 you know, I could see why the church is threatened by it because, A, it takes, it challenges, it challenges the Trinitarian perspective, but it also challenges, to a degree, one God. But if, if, if it's not anathema to think of this with maybe with a small g, God's plural, because even some texts, there's literature where some star people acknowledge uh, the Palladians and Billy Meyer, they call it creation. Uh, uh, in Native American lore, it's called the crea creator. It's not an anthropomorphic being. And I think that's where it can be threatening to traditional uh, Western religion and also um, where all this confusion can, can come in. But which let us make man in our image. So we're made in the image of the gods, plural. Obviously, there's more than one race visiting um, humankind at the time because every... Really, every civilization has a story of beings coming from the sky, some, some causing upheaval and very mischievous, and some of them bringing a more enlightened way for humans to live on the planet and with one another. This is all not happenstance, at least to my mind. So um, it, it, you have to reread the scriptures with this as a possibility. You don't have to agree, but looking at this as a possibility, it makes more sense, it's especially in lieu of what's happening today. Our government is not being as transparent as it could be. I get it, but this is big. This whole thing, UAPs arose by any other name, to my mind. And, and, and you know, what they're saying is there's, there's something going on out there that we can't explain. Mm. I think experiences can explain it. But they're not going to come to us. It's not scientific enough as yet, or what have you. But because um, if these beings were visit, that first visit I had that I remember when I actually saw them was December 28, 1989. I've had visits since then. They continue. Mm -hmm. So if they were visiting me in 1989 CE, they were probably visiting other people in 1989 BCE yeah. and before. Now, Ben, did you want to jump in here? Uh, yes, but I have a very long-winded observation. It would probably do us... <laughs> we'll wait till after the break. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, we, we both went to a seminary, Michael, and not the same one at the same time, uh, but all in New York State, <laughs> yes. two of mine, and uh, the whole notion of uh, let us create, it was always a, that's a prefiguring of the Trinity, Father, yes. Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes. And, you know, I get it. It's a perspective. Yeah, and uh, but it seemed to be always oh, to be more than that. I was a real pain in the neck questioner. So anyway, why don't we uh, 
take our mid-show break a little bit early, and then uh, we'll get to Ben's questions. And I, we've got some questions from our good friend Peter in South America. And you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our great guest, Reverend Michael Carter, in just a moment. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal on WOON Radio. And we are going to rejoin our guest, Reverend Michael Carter. We have a very, very special uh, guest uh, to uh, to surprise him, and that's Matt Moniz, our good friend. And uh, why don't we, before we get to your question, can we get to uh, one of Peter's here? Sure. Okay, here you go. Peter, Alrighty. Uh, our good friend in Bogota. Yes, Peter writes to us. Is it correct that Bud Hopkins did hypnotic regression on you, which you which you said he did? <laughs> much so, so. so you did answer that. But what was discovered? Is that for Matt or for me? For you. Well, Matt's the bonus guy, so. <laughs> okay. What was discovered was that I was taken off, that I was taken aboard in a craft. Um, uh, it was a room that didn't have, uh, what do you call it? Um, it was just round and there was a light. I don't know where it was light. I didn't see any light. Lights. I, I don't know. There was a source of light, but I didn't. I couldn't see where it came from. It was like a seamless room that I was. I was examined. Um, it kind of affirmed what Gene Mundy had done that that I wasn't crazy because I, I still needed that, and um, that that's pretty much it. You know, I don't remember anything specific or nothing specific came up. They were uh, gray people or what we would call grays. I was around a table. It was chilly and, you know, poked and prodded and looked, you know, they looked at me, which kind of calmed me down. And Bud was excellent at what he did. Mm. Uh, That I can tell you. And maybe Matt can attest to that as well. Yeah, Matt, uh, he regressed you as well? Yes, he did on several occasions. And I have to agree, his technique was awesome. It helped because he was a caring person. And Mm -hmm. uh, he definitely had very good technique. He was trained by good people. Okay. He never regressed us. no, No leading. I don't remember any kind of leading things, you know, leading questions. Um and I felt relaxed, and I was just, and this was new for me because I did not, just very quickly, I did not recall leaving my room uh, when I was balled up in the fetal position. I had no recollection of that. Bud, it came out with Bud. Okay. Uh, ben, you want to jump in? Uh, sure. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna steer steer the conversation a little bit uh, in reverse. 
we've been doing that the whole time. Forward or verse, forward or verse, forward or verse. So now we're, we're reversing once again. Um, I, I don't know if any of you, any anyone here is familiar with a guy named Richard Rollin. Um, he's, a, he's a philologist, and he has this really interesting theory, which is called universal history. That essentially all history, all, all historical stories are all sort of different perspectives of the same events um, throughout every culture. And, and it's like you can look and you can draw parallels between all of them and, and there's sort of this, this, um, the, these same threads and themes and patterns that are in every single society, you know, throughout history. You know, it doesn't matter if you take like ancient China, you know, the Incas or, or Egypt, you shove them all together. Sure, they have different stories, different characters, but the same themes, the same plots, the same sort of entities, all, all are kind of the same. Now, I bring this up because there's there's sort of a few we we have a we we all are at a disadvantage. We're all at a major disadvantage because we all live in the year 2022. And there has been an active war um uh, that's a strong word. There's been an active effort to change how we view reality and it's really been going on since the enlightenment. And the enlightenment did some good things. I will admit that. But it also did some terrible things. Because we now view reality in in a way that we want to bring everything to our level. We want to take everything so that we can just flatten it and say, all right, we can categorize it, we can move it, we can shift it, we can put it in these holes, we know what it is, we can control it. And essentially, um, the the message of, of one Enoch, uh, you can you can read you can glean a lot of interesting stuff from it. Which fun fact. I think I think the West kind of is missing out on a lot of things of how they view Apocrypha, because um, in the West, Apocrypha is essentially you know anything that's not canon or deuterocanonical or whatever you know anything that's not in that in the approved text is wrong. Um, that which it doesn't really make any sense because around the time of you know the Torah and Second Temple Judaism, there are plenty of other books around at the same time. They, they didn't just have one book. They had, a, yes. they had a bunch of other books that were all interpretations and like, you know, a great, great example is like Philo of Alexandria, right? Philo, yes. Philo of Alexandria has some really, I mean, he's a Platonist, but he has some really interesting views on on Yahweh and all that stuff. If you ever read anything by him, it is really fascinating, especially since I think he was writing for, um, uh, I think he was writing for, for Romans, basically, trying to explain um, Judaism to Romans. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of his whole, his whole shtick. But um, you, you glean a lot of really interesting things in how they viewed the world. One really interesting thing in how they viewed it, and, and pretty much everybody in the ancient world, was they, they reviewed reality as just sort of one thing. There was no separation of layers. There was no, you know, like, okay, well, you know, you read a history book now. Um, you know, you read about Julius Caesar, right? You know, you're, you look at Julius Caesar and you're like, okay, well, he killed six million Gauls and he enslaved six million more. You know, great, cool, yeah, but that's a political thing. That's all that is. It's politics, right? You know, but it had a it had a spiritual effect to it. It was a myth. It was a mythical effect. You know, he wasn't viewed as a god because you know he was a great statesman. He was viewed as a god because he exercised control over the world, and his impact was a spiritual impact as well as a mundane political impact. And it's 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 viewed as like you know one sort of thing, right? You know, it's like uh, Hammurabi is a great example too, which coincidentally he is mentioned in Genesis, although brief, not him specifically, but the I believe the first, was, first known code of laws, right? Yeah, the code of Hammurabi, right? Everyone knows the code. He's the code guy. That's his that's his his shtick, right? You know, you do one bad thing, you get your hand cut off, you know, whatever. 
like and his whole thing was eye for an eye and that was that was basically it. Well, he said it was based on on the laws of the uh going to say the Anunnaki or the uh the people of the most high right from the previous age. Now ah, you're skipping ahead. <laughs> you're well, skipping I, ahead. Dad. All right, sorry. So so it's so now we're we're getting we're getting to the point where um you know nobody was a monotheist. Right, you know, there's this term that was invented in the 18th century by our fun German friends, or the, our 19th century German friends, which okay, well, yeah, they were you know monotheists, you know, that's it, that's all they were, and they didn't believe in any other gods, which is not true, right? You know, they believed in they believed in plenty of gods, plenty of them, all over the place, and they just were like, well, they're dumb, you know, that that basically was it, you know, the the words translated are 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 you know demon, which isn't the right word. There were other translations for it, which were like, well, they're useless, basically, right? You know, your gods are useless. Your gods are trash. Basically, it was like trash talk in, in some places, because <laughs> the the whole thing was, um, you know, the in yeah. I'm getting I'm getting to the point here. I'm kind of rambling, but we're getting to the point. The point is, we are dealing with a with a reality, and we in the twenty twenty sec well twenty first century are are viewing all of these stories, and we're like, all right. We're we're looking at these stories. We see class conflict. We see all these separate events, and we see all of these these different things. But yet we're like, all right, well, we don't have anything to attach to it. I mean, what do we have? Our cosmology now is is nothing, right? We've taken everything from the past and just thrown it out, and we've seen that in every area of our lives. Academia. We've seen it in culture, in media. We've seen it in everything. The traditional stories are gone. So what do we have left? We have the paranormal, the supernatural. We have really all of these things that have been given to us for the last hundred years via ufology and spiritualism and all of these other things because we can't, we don't have the pieces of the puzzle anymore that we had, you know, a couple centuries, thousand years ago. What we have now is, well, we have aliens. We don't have gods anymore. Gods are dumb. They don't exist. Who cares? Aliens, though. We can prove that they exist because there's so many other worlds out there. They they must they must be one of them, right? You know, we we can't prove that dead. We can't prove there's an afterlife, but we do know that we picked up a voice on an EVP. We know that. We we we're in this crisis of of confirmation. We're in this crisis of confirming our reality because we've thrown out everything to the point we have nothing, and we have. All of these terms that we've sort of invented over the last hundred years, and we're like, all right, you know, everything else is gone, but we have this, and we haven't thrown that out yet. But I think we're getting to a point where we're we're running into a wall, and all these things that we've sort of, you know, hodgepodge together over the last hundred-ish years are not really doing it anymore. So what are your thoughts, Reverend? (laughs) Well, I think... And I feel that what you're saying is spot on. I I I I, I feel that who was it? Wordsworth. We murdered to dissect, or maybe it's the reverse. But it's that we have to be able to chop things up in small bite-sized pieces and spoon feed them to folks whether it's in academics, whether it's political, whether it's militarily. And I, I don't know if it's the same way, but we are in a battle, for lack of a better word, about what is reality. 
um, uh, whether it's about who won an election, about whether it's um, economics, what's the right system for us, whether it's about religion, that we're starting to question that, which I don't have no problem with. But there's some things that were true 5,000 years ago, and they'll be true 5,000 years from now. An illustration is what you put out comes back. Okay, that's just the law. That's universal law. What goes around comes around. You do reap what you sow. That's a law. That's not personal. And people who don't adhere to that law eventually will pay the debt. So um, I'm, I'm thinking that, but on a more positive note, we do need to start questioning. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is a way for us as a species to start. The pendulum was all the way over here where we believed everything we were told. You didn't question. If you did, you weren't patriotic. You weren't a Christian. You weren't. And now the pendulum is all the way over here where we don't know what's true. And that, that you have a truth and I have a truth. And, and, and quantum physics would say we both because it's the way we look at stuff. But that's something else. But the pendulum will swing back, I feel. Will we be here as a species to witness it? I don't know. We have a choice. But what you're seeing is a whole paradigm shift. It's like a baby's being born, and it's messy, and it's painful. And so to question reality, to throw things out, yes, sometimes you throw the baby out with the bathwater, but, but but it's all over the world that basically there's a paradigm that's not working anymore and there are those who benefit from this paradigm and they're going to hold on to it for dear life because it works for them. And there are those who are saying that's not where we are anymore. And, and we need something a little more inclusive, equitable, call it what you will. That's where I see it academically, uh, politically, religiously, socially. And and it's not, we haven't finished the, writing the page yet. We may not. We may destroy ourselves first. Mm. Well, why don't we but move we, to another part of outer space and uh, ask uh, Peter's uh, second question. Well, now, now that we're hanging out in uh, Second Temple times, um, there are numerous examples of uh, possible UFOs in ancient religious writings. What are the examples that are closest to uh, what is now called alien abduction? Well, we one could argue uh, that Paul was abducted. I'm going back now. I'm starting at New Testament, maybe going back uh, when he talks about. Um, and Paul, tell me if I'm wrong when he says, "I know a man in Christ." When he was taken up physically, I do not know. Anyway, he's talking about him going up into the second or third heaven, and he said, I can't utter what I saw. That I think Paul was abducted. Uh, definitely, um, uh, we can look at um, Ezekiel, Elijah, mm. especially when they're taken up and then they're dropped off here and there. Um, listen, we don't know where Jesus was during those 40 days and 40 nights. 
He went off to pray. Where? Up into the mountains. Well, only God knows. No pun intended. Um, I, I would say that most of our, in the West, most of the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, you know, um, when Isaiah, I'm looking at Isaiah 40 in the Aramaic transition, uh, uh, Aramaic translation, verse 22, it is he who sits upon the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. This sounds like a view from up above. If the inhabitants sit upon the circle of the earth, this is Isaiah saying that, I was taught that we didn't know the earth was round until around Columbus time or whatever. And he's saying that the inhabitants look like grasshoppers. He's definitely up above, mm. I would say. And that's, and I would say that our prophets, our biblical prophets, if, if they weren't abducted, they were at least in the company of non-human intelligences. Well, certainly Enoch. Was for gods. Enoch, yes. It was... Uh uh, and he's, for the gods, yes. Yeah, because uh, th- then he was not, for God took him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so a, a lot of our religions in the West, one could argue, now I'm not going to say they were done purposely, I don't know. It seems like these messengers, they didn't have time to explain stuff. They would just say, hey, this is what, you know, thou shalt or thou shalt not, and this is it, and I'm gone. You know, the only real time we have um, in the book of Acts where Paul is at Barnabas. Anyway, they're mistaken uh, for some reason for gods and the people bow down to them. It's in the book of Acts. I think it's 12, Acts chapter 12. And uh, hey, he he tells them, you know, hey, stand up. I'm a man like you are. So that tells me a couple of things. A, it was, obviously it's very easy to give your power away, but there must have been star people who could either look very human or could uh, attain that shape because they looked at him and they just bowed down. Now, they, I don't know whether his appearance changed or they saw something different, but he did say, hey, you know, you know get a grip, let's stand up and let's, let's do this. Now, we, of course, wanted to get into the, the Nephilim, but we're running, kind of uh, coming down to the wire here. But, Michael, uh, before we uh, run out of time, please uh, tell us where people can find out more about you, your books. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. My God, time is fun. Well, we have to do it again. Um, listen, gang, it, you can go to Amazon, um, and my books are there, Alien Scriptures, uh, the latest one is Initiation, the Spiritual Transformation of the Experiencer. There's a book called um, A New World If You Can Take It, God, Extraterrestrials, and the Evolution of Human Consciousness. I have a meditation calendar called God Consciousness, and I have a book called The Metaphysics of Spiritual Healing and the Power of Affirmative Prayer. You can go on Amazon. Uh, my email is Carter at gmail. If you write me, I will Respond. My website is uh, Michael J S Carter, and um, haven't been on Ancient Aliens for a while, but occasionally you can catch me on some episodes there. in In September, I'll be out in Flint, Michigan, speaking at a UFO conference there on this very topic and spirituality. Yeah, and you'll be seeing a lot more Michael on this show. I'll guarantee that. 
Yes, yes. Paul so. has got, yeah. I moved, guys, and so we've been planning this for a long time. And uh, so I'm finally settled in my new home. And Paul and I are just going to kick it around. Yeah, that's right. You know, <laughs> Matt, it's good to see you. I just want to say that I know we got 10 minutes. Yep. Um, but it's, oh, my God, you now, now you have my contact information. And yeah. I'll make sure you get mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, so we're not done yet. I just wanted to make sure you had a chance to do that. No, I just wanted that. to get that out before we Right, you know. right. Okay. So uh, the, the, the Nephilim, or Nephilim, as it's sometimes pronounced, uh, you point out in your book uh, very astutely, Michael, that uh, the Hebrew root of the word is not giants, because the, uh, the most of the translations, uh, which are awful, will, will say there were giants in the earth in those days. And you point out uh, correctly that the, the, the root of the word Nephilim is people who came from the sky, yes. not giants. Yes. And uh, the fact that they were able to intermarry with human women means the DNA must have been identical, almost, yes. or they must have had stunning technology for gene splitting. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, um, well, first of all, I concur on all those points. Now, listen... Um, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead. A, yes, the the DNA had to to to, to be really the same or similar for for them to make these babies. I'm jumping up to uh, the time of Jesus, though, because Jesus had brothers and sisters, and so uh, the church has always wrestled with this. They were cousins or what have you, but um, you know, Jesus talks about his father being. Different. I, I think his father was an extraterrestrial. I think we could argue that intelligently. But he also had brothers and sisters. And we remember uh, Alma, A-L-M-A in Hebrew, means young girl. Doesn't mean a woman or young girl whose hymen hasn't been broken through intercourse. Doesn't mean that. Mm -hmm. uh, we have St. Jerome to thank for that translation. Yes. Because, oh, Jesus could not have been born, you know, from a human individual. But, uh, so it, when he says, this is my father, uh, he's not joking. That that his father, and if your father, if one of your parents is, is, is a star person and the other one isn't, that makes you not feel fully human. And and so there, that's where I go to Jesus probably being a hybrid. It certainly would make more sense with the miracles and the so-called miracles and things like that. But, as Brother Paul said, you know, in the book of Enoch, you know, they, these, these 200 angels come down and they found the daughters of men were fair, meaning they were beautiful, voluptuous, and they went native, as it were, and had kids and families and carried on. So it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, people speculate about uh, alien DNA, things of this kind, and again, it's all speculation. It's all speculation. But but at this uh, point in time, you'd think everyone alive today would share those genes, had that occurred. Yes, I, I think we do, at yeah. least to a degree. Uh, but, but even what you just said, Paul, it's anathema, it's blasphemy. This is why people were getting killed and, uh, you know, beheaded and exiled. Because the church fathers, using that word in, uh, intentionally, it, this wasn't 
You can't talk about that because it throws the whole God thing off. It makes it more complicated, at least. Well, the, the question, of course, arises, uh, what does this do to our understanding of God? Now, you say in the book that, uh, and I agree with you very much so, that, that it does not in any way destroy the idea no. of God. I mean, you know, my spirituality, such as it is, I, I really try to foster it, uh, is... Uh, based pretty much on the still small voice from first kings yes you know and yes. uh, you know god was not in the earthquake you know, etc and um, you find god in the simple beautiful simple i, I say again things and uh to me that's the basis of spirituality and uh i'm i'm of course uh deeply influenced by the orthodox tradition uh which is really quite simple Despite the ceremonial aspects of the of the liturgy, so uh, that, that's me. But what 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 does all this do to God in your view, Michael? What it does for me is that it it, it makes us almost have to grow up. That because the whole thing when we talked about you and I agreed with this, Paul, about most of our uh, problems in the world today, I think, and you agree, are come from a spiritual. Uh, uh, malaise, if you will. That may not be a strong enough word, but um, because we believe we're separate from each other. Mm -hmm. Okay? And that's the sin, and I don't use that word a lot because it just is so misconstrued, but it's that you believe that you're different from me, maybe because of my hair or my skin. I believe I'm different from you like that, or I, you believe I'm different because I'm in a red state or a blue state. All those things don't matter. We come from the same cloth. But this thing of separation, which is an illusion. That's right. Uh, it keeps us, Einstein's talked about it, uh, greater minds than I, that once we buy into that, so now I'm separate from God. God is way out there. And so I can't, I'm not part of that. But that's what, that's where the church got it wrong, intentionally, intentionally or not. And this whole belief in separation has brought us to where we are, where we can now destroy ourselves. I'm separate from you because of race, or who you sleep with, or what you eat. Or I'm definitely separate from the earth. Mm -hmm. Because I was taught, you know, this, this thing, oh, go out and, you know, subdue the earth. No, I'm part of it. <laughs> right. I'm part of all that is. And so that is where the spiritual, we're, we're all one. You know, it's not a platitude. What I do to you, I do to myself. That's right. And so this belief in separation will destroy us, whether it's blue state, red state, gay, straight, rich, poor. I'm not trying to oversimplify. There's some structural, institutional stuff that needs to change, inner stuff, probably, yep. Yep. as within, so without. But this belief in separation will most likely, if we don't wake up, it will it will kill us. Very true. Matt, we, do you want to jump in here? Yeah, we've lost the fact that we're all cells in the same body. Yes. We've yes. turned ourselves into cancer. Yeah. Uh, to almost, and, and it could be terminal yeah. if we don't pull it together. Now, getting back to your thing about uh, being able to... in interbreed and things like that the job i do now is genetic engineering okay so i can definitely tell you that there is ways of introducing genetic material yes. into into things so 
Yeah. When yeah. you're on the show on July 24th, bring your T-Rex with you. Okay. Okay. Life uh, finds a way. Yeah. It does. Yeah, that's right. Uh, ben. Um, well, uh, I guess I guess in in closing, because we only have about a little less than than five minutes here. Um, well, probably about six if I'm doing my math, or four if I'm doing my math right. Well, which I, which I'm not because I'm changing my mind. <laughs> um, it's 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 so easy to get caught up in apologetics, um, and, and and the problem is, you know, there's an objective reality, and we're all subjectively experiencing it. And we we're all we're all seeing different things, <laughs> and that's just kind of how it goes because we're all human and nobody's perfect. Um, but I, I think the thing is we we all have to. It, it starts small, right? You know, and, and it starts by by patterning ourselves in a way that that is 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 good and, and life giving, and we proceed to be a pattern for everybody else. And by by patterning ourselves in, in such a way, then then you know by changing ourselves, everything else kind of changes along with it, because we're all we're all part of this whole web of relationships, and um, it's it's important to realize that we're all we're all participating in the same story. No one's the main character, you know. We're all we're all side characters, <laughs> and it's and it's and it's good to realize that we're all we're all participating in the same thing, and that's really what we all want. At the end of the day is to is to participate in something. Yeah, well, we're all uh, we're going to take this up again. Uh, I can see many shows uh, with Michael coming, and uh, July twenty fourth, uh, Matt will be our guest yep. with, without the T Rex. <laughs> and uh, right here in the studio, I hope, and we'll uh, be talking about some some really fascinating stuff. Well, I'll do our best Jeff Go- Jeff Jeff Goldblum impressions, and then we'll we'll call it a day. Right, my age, I'll do the Hammond impression. Anyway, uh, take us away, Ben, with our announcements. Yes, and so uh, Exeter UFO Festival is is back in in session once again, and that returns in September at the historic Exeter uh, New Hampshire Town Hall over the Labor Day weekend. That's September third and. 4th. Fourth, uh, this great event is sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to benefit local children's charities along with ourselves. Speakers will include Kathleen Martin, Peter Robbins, Jennifer Stein, uh, Bob Terrio, Mike Stevens, Lynn Nickerson, uh, Valerie LaFasso, Mac Maloney, and two new faces, Shauna and Josh. I believe that's uh, the elegant name La Jeunesse. La Jeunesse. Ah, you see, you never know with French. Um, <laughs> we we plan to do our traditional live broadcast from the event on Sunday uh, with a panel of the speakers. The subject of our talk, time storms, uh, with thanks to the great British researcher Jenny Randalls who coined the term. Uh, and uh, this is a very fun event, and you can join us if you wish, and you can visit ExeterUFOFestival.org for more details. Matt, very quickly, tell us uh, about you, where people can find out more about you. Uh, yeah, I'm one of the uh, personalities on Spooky South Coast, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also been working with Tom Reed on Inner Space TV and uh, UFO Man lately. I've been helping him out. I'll be in Roswell on the 1st and 2nd, and... Um, there's a couple of other projects I got coming up, and of course I'll see you guys more than likely up at Exeter. Oh yeah, it's a oh, small yeah. world. <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. probably be running the AV again. As you, you always end up doing that, whether it's planned or not. <laughs> ben, what's in the fridge for next week? Well, we have some cool stuff coming up. Uh, some some nice nice cooling things for the summer. Uh, June twelfth, uh, we'll bring you an open line show to answer all sorts of questions on many 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 different paranormal topics. So stay tuned for that. Okay, so I guess we're just about, uh, we'll leave the quote for next week. 
I'm Paul Eno, and we're here with Matt Moniz, and... You know, you probably did have time for the quote. You just, you just, you sold yourself short, Dad. But it's fine. So we'll catch you next time. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.